The readings from Daniel 6 this morning, which is on page 891, and also behind me. It's page 891, Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three chief ministers over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these chief ministers and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisers and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree decree, and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. 
And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's commands, king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in the earth, may you greatly prosper. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Thanks, Alex, for reading for us. And a special welcome to you if you're new or visiting us today. And uh, you join us as we look at now one of the most well-known and well-loved love story in the whole of the Bible. Shall we pray now for God's help as we come to it? Father, we ask that you would still our hearts now as we come to learn and to be reminded of these wonderful truths from this wonderful story that you are the God who rescues and saves. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were asked the question, how are you doing as a Christian at the moment, how would you answer? If you were asked to mark yourselves out of 10, how would you currently grade your walk with Jesus? Now, I think most of us would probably be quite conservative in that. I mean, we are British after all. So we might think we're a six and we're bound to give ourselves a five. But what would we be basing that on? Well, we regularly attend church, sometimes even twice on a Sunday. And we really feel that we're growing in our knowledge and love of Jesus. We never miss our small group meeting because we value that time of friendship as we're taught together, as we look at God's word. We love to serve every week in the kids' group. We're happy to serve coffee. We love serving at uh, the events like Open Week. We muck in whenever we're needed. Even our quiet time is regular. It's thriving in the Bible. And our times in prayer, we love to worship God and to thank him for all he has done for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. But if we slightly change that question to how are you doing as a Christian in the world, I wonder would our mark slightly change. If we were asked how bold are we in our witness for Christ in our workplaces, at school or in our social circles, how would we score then? Or Or if we were asked how courageous are we when we're challenged about our Christianity and the views of the Bible, and when we're asked those difficult questions on moral standards, sex, gender, judgment, heaven, hell, how are we doing then? Are we standing up for what we believe? Or do we fold under the pressure and opposition from the world around us and perhaps say nothing, stay quiet, or even compromise 
what we know to be true out of fear of rejection and even compromise because of the consequences that we may face for standing up for Christ. Now, for those of us living in the UK, these are the types of examples of the pressure and opposition we face living in a world that not only fails to acknowledge that there is a God and that he is sovereign over his world, but a world that openly rejects him and is basically at war with him. And as Christians, we live in that battlefield. We only need to read Christian literature and see our news feeds to know that in other parts of the world, our brothers and sisters face far worse consequences for their witness for Christ. Where even just uttering the name Jesus or meeting in his name can result in death. So how are you? How am I doing in those moments? Are we standing firm or are we folding? And asking the question, as a Christian, how am I to live in this godless world? Well, this is where the book of Daniel really helps us because that is the world that Daniel found himself in for many years. And in this wonderful story we've just had read to us, we see Daniel is faced with immense pressure and a deadly consequence for living for his God. And as we go through the narrative, we're going to draw out three principles from, excuse me, from Daniel's response that can help us to live in this godless world. And these three principles, they're not exhaustive, they're not the only principles. Scripture has lots to tell us on this subject. But we do trust that we will find these principles in Daniel 6 helpful as we seek to live for God in this godless world. So first, we must remember that we will face opposition. Now, at the end of chapter 5 last week, we saw God pass judgment on King Belshazzar for not humbling himself to God. And the consequence was that he was slain and his kingdom was given over to the Medes and the Persians, just as God said it would. So Babylon has a new king, Darius. And like any new leader of a nation, he is setting up a new administration and government to help him rule the people. And in particular, he has chosen three to oversee this. And Daniel is one of those men, as we read in verse 1. So, we've got a new empire, a new regime. But yet again, we see Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, as he is uh, described, is again fast-tracked to a position of leadership. Which I don't think is that surprising in many ways. It's commonplace in any corporate takeover that the new bosses will bring in their own CEO and board members, but often they will still use the current members in the same positions. Why? Well, because they've got the skills that they need. And it's the same here with Daniel. But it's not that he is just able to do the job. Verse 3, Daniel distinguished himself by his exceptional qualities. His reputation goes before him. And straight away, when put to work, he is the model employee and leader. You can just imagine, he's always on work, he always arrives on time, he never phones in sick, he's diligent, he continues to do what is right even when surrounded by corruption because he has integrity. 
He doesn't cut corners. He doesn't moan. He just gets on with the job in hand as he serves those in authority who have entrusted him to this role. Don't we all wish we had employees and leaders like Daniel? Or perhaps the bigger challenge for us, don't we pray that we would be an employee or a leader like Daniel? I must say, I, I found that challenging. Is my faith on show in my workplace as I seek to serve those that I lead? Is my faith on show in my home as I seek to be a husband and father? Is my faith on show as I interact with my friends and all those people that I come into contact with? Well, clearly for Daniel, the answer is yes. And clearly, he has the new king's favour. And I'm sure we probably agree, rightly so. And that leads Darius, King Darius, to plan to have Daniel as second in command. It will be Darius and then Daniel. But there's a problem. Verse 4. At this, the administrators and satraps try to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his government affairs. So Daniel is opposed by his colleagues. Well, clearly, he's making, them look, he's making them look bad, isn't he? But it's more than that. They're jealous. They are power-hungry and can't stand the fact that this guy, Daniel, who, remember, is one of the exiles, he's a foreigner, this guy could be ruling them. So they set about to discredit him. They're going to dig up the dirt, but they can't because Daniel's clean. There are no skeletons in his closet, no lockdown parties, no dodgy dealings, nothing untoward on his internet browser history, no illicit affairs. Which leads to the conclusion in verse 5, we will never find any basis for charges against Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they set about to devise a trap knowing that Daniel will always follow his God before any king. So these administrators and satraps, they sound like a wonderful bunch, don't they? They go to the king, and they go to the king as a group. And we see that throughout the passage. They go as a group. Verse 6, verse 11, verse 15. These men went as a group. Each time pandering to the king's ego and pride to persuade him to do their will. Their actions give us the sense that they don't just want Daniel out. They're not like the colleagues at work that want to blame one person on a team for a failed task so they just chuck someone under the bus. No. Their constant conspiring, their houndering, their harassment... Well, it shows they will do anything to get what they want. They fiercely oppose Daniel. They want him gone so badly, they will throw him to the lions. Do you know they hate Daniel? They want him dead. Now, at this point, I want us to take note that even though there has been a change of kingdom and ruler, God's people are still opposed by the godless world. Just like in chapter 3 with the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar and the furnace. 
there's a clash. And God's people face a cost if they are to continue to follow God. This passage is a helpful reminder for us that opposition to God's people from the world is normal. It's to be expected. This is what the Bible teaches us. And this passage and many others in Scripture help us to manage our expectations. Because the story of God's people here in Daniel 6, or God's people in Egypt, or under the Romans, it's the same. It was no different for the apostles, and it was no different for Jesus himself. The Bible consistently shows us that the world opposes God and his people. And that has continued throughout the centuries with thousands of Christians martyred for their faith. And even today in the 21st century, our brothers and sisters in countries like Nigeria and Iran face prison and death as they live for Jesus in this godless world. And as we hear this this morning in Banstead, it might be hard for us to really grasp the truth as we live in a more tolerant country that has afforded us rights and privileges over many years. We have freedom to worship, and we don't face consequences for that. We even have a queen who loves Jesus. However, it is, it is becoming more and more anti-Christian in this country. And the sad reality is that is the norm. It's not the, <coughs> excuse me, it's not the exception. And the book of Daniel helps us to get our expectations right so that we're not surprised. Now, that does not mean that we should just give up and just accept opposition and sink into the background. It doesn't mean that. But we should expect it. So when the pressure is on in this godless world, how should we live? Well, first, we should firstly ex- expect opposition. And secondly... We must remember to obey God. Back to Daniel. Now, it's good to remember at this point, Daniel is an older man. He's around 80. And throughout his life in exile, he has continued to persevere in his faith without complaint. And that has really affected his witness to the God of Israel. And I I want to take the opportunity to say, aren't we just so blessed as a church have many Daniel characters amongst us in our much-loved older saints who are a great encouragement and witness for us. And what is their witness? Well, it's their godliness. And Daniel is clearly a godly man. He is faithful to the king, but he sets himself apart from those around him. And you know, even though Daniel knows that the world he's in opposes him and his God, he still gets involved. He is obedient to those in authority. He shines for God as he seeks to do good amongst the people, just as we should. And as we have read throughout this book, that's been the case throughout his life. But ultimately, there has to come a point where a line has to be drawn. And we can't serve this world any longer. And we have to say no. We will not compromise under the pressure. So Daniel is now faced 
with a choice. Let's read from verse 6. So these chief ministers and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, (coughs) Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So, will Daniel conform to the pressure and compromise? Will he pray to Darius and not to his God? Let's pick up again. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where, he, <clears throat> where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. No. Daniel will serve the king. He will call him majesty, but he will not bow his knee to the king. He won't pray to him nor will he stop praying to his God. And we should note here that Daniel doesn't throw his toys out the pram and protest. No, he just quietly retreats to do what he has always done. He prays to God three times a day. He asks for his help, and he gives his God thanks. And I wonder, as we read this, are we a little bit surprised Not so much in his actions, but how he prays. He could quite easily have gone off and prayed quietly to himself in private. He could have gone to a different room. He could have closed all the windows. But no, Daniel prays to his God for all to see. He doesn't panic. There's no fear. But it's not an act of defiance. It's just what he's always done. And although I'm pretty sure Daniel knows that this is a trap, his obedience to God comes first. Even when he knows the severe consequences that he faces. His survival, when being opposed by the godless world, isn't to cave in. No, the only way he's going to survive is increased faith in the true king he has faithfully served and obeyed all of his life. Daniel's example is very helpful for us. But I imagine it's probably going to challenge us as well. Are we like Daniel when we are put under pressure? Do we naturally turn to God and his word and his promises? And do we pray and trust that he will help and guide us? Or do we just try and fix it ourselves? Which only ever leads to disaster and will sadly probably see us cave. Now, our own personal pressure points might not be around prayer, like Daniel. But the reality is that 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 day could be coming soon under our current leaders in our country. 
But perhaps our pressure points are more social pressure. Pressure to budge, compromise on the truths and values that we hold dear from Scripture. So our friends say to us, does the Bible really say that? Come on, it's the 21st century. Or we face pressure not to speak about Jesus with our friends, our family. Look, we've all heard this one. That's great for you. Thanks, but no thanks. Death by the lion's den may not be our consequence. But death to our careers, death to our reputation, death to friendships, that is realistic. The scorn mockery and rejection as we live for Christ, it might not lead to us losing our lives, but we will certainly lose face. But yet, we must not compromise. We must obey God and not man. Just like the Apostle Peter, when he was told to preach the gospel, sorry, to not preach the gospel, he did it anyway. So when living in this godless world, how are we to live? We expect the opposition and we must obey God. And we can't sugarcoat that. We do and we will find it hard. When we walk into work or school tomorrow, or even when we go home and have Sunday lunch today with our non-believing family, it will be hard. I find it hard every single day when I go into work. Only last week there was a a conversation about the abortion law in the US and I faced the choice. Do I shy away? Do I pretend that I'm not listening? Do I compromise what I really believe to be true so so that I fit in and that I'm not ridiculed and talked about when I leave the office? Or do I speak up and say, yes, it is incredibly difficult for those who find themselves in awful situations. But I believe God is the only person who can decide over life and death. Only he has that authority, and we don't. Now, on that occasion, I was bold. And I really want to recognise that I know some of you sitting here this morning have been through horrendously tough times as you have obeyed your God and contended for the truth. And you have experienced death to your friendships and reputations. But I'm sure there have been occasions for all of us at some level where that hasn't been the case. So the question is, what about, what is it about God that is going to help us to keep going, to to help us to obey him when the pressure is on? Well, thirdly, it's what we know about God. And when the pressure is on in this godless world, we must trust God to deliver and rescue us. Now, at this point, it's good for us to switch focus to King Darius. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed spending time with Darius. He finds himself now in a very difficult position. Let's remind ourselves who he is. He is the king, which means that he is the top dog. He's the ruler of this very powerful kingdom. He's almost 
godlike in stages, isn't he? Especially considering there's been a decree to pray to him. But having fallen into this trap that he's been set by his own advisors, do you notice? He can't do what he wants. And he is completely distressed. As we read, we get the impression that Darius really values Daniel, and he doesn't want to see him perish. Verse 14, he was determined to rescue Daniel, and he made every effort to save him. But despite all this power at his disposal, he knows that he cannot save Daniel. He has been trapped by his own law and by his own pride. So as he sends an innocent man to death, as Daniel is sealed into the den, he can but hope that Daniel's God can do the job that he cannot. As he cries out in verse 16, May your God, who you serve continually, rescue you. Now we know what's coming next, don't we? But seeing this part of the story from the point of Darius helps to build the tension. Because the king is more than distressed. He's anxious. He can't eat. He can't sleep. And as soon as dawn comes, he rushes to the den. (laughs) I love this next bit. Verse 20. King Darius cries out to Daniel. Sorry. Cries out, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? It's a pretty ridiculous question, isn't it? Daniel has just spent hours locked in the darkness of a den with hungry lions. But for me, I think Darius, as he asked that question, I think he's expectant. I think something has changed in him over those sleepless hours. I think that... Darius is daring to believe in the God of Daniel as he asks that question. And wonderfully, Daniel answers, verse 22, My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. And why is it Daniel isn't torn to a million pieces and he comes out alive with no scratches? Well, the writer adds a very helpful comment. Verse 23, When Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel didn't trust in Darius to get him out and to save him because he knew he just didn't have that power to deliver him. Daniel trusted in his God who does have the power to save and rescue him. It's just such a wonderful story, isn't it? And there are so many big truths in here for us that will help us to keep going as God's people. We've already seen some of them. But as we focus in on Daniel, we see he is, yet again, he is an example for us of how to live by faith, not willing to compromise, even if it means death, trusting that God will deliver us. But we must be careful. This doesn't mean that if you lose your job or a friendship for being a Christian that, it's, that you're going to get it back. And for the persecuted Christians around the world, it doesn't mean that if they trust God enough 
that God will deliver them from extremists, from prison or from death. Yes, God clearly has the power and authority to intervene. He is sovereign over all these things, and he is with us in the opposition that we face. But he doesn't promise to specifically deliver us from this opposition that we face in this world. But we are to trust him through it. But as well as Daniel being an example for us, his story points us forward to an even greater rescue where we know that God will deliver us. Daniel points us forward to the one that would come after him, Jesus Christ, a faithful servant, opposed and hated by the world, hounded by a group of jealous leaders, Jesus, innocent, yet sentenced to death by the leading authority who in the end didn't have the power to save him. Jesus, placed behind a stone and sealed in, yet at first light was rushed to and found alive. But of course, Jesus is greater than Daniel. Whereas God saved Daniel from certain death, Jesus did die. And yet he overcame death and was raised from the grave. And it's his resurrection that gives us great hope. As we now know with certainty that if we are trusting in him, in his blood, as he died in our place, we too will be raised with him. And he will deliver us into his glorious kingdom to be with him forever. Jesus rescues and saves. And that is the truth that that we all need to hear today. And at times we need to be reminded of it as we strive to live in this godless world. Some of you might be living through the opposition at the moment as you go into work tomorrow, even as you go home. But we trust in a sovereign God who has every enemy at his feet, including death itself. He is the God who saved Daniel. He's the God that has saved us. And that's the message that our friends our families, our colleagues, our non-believing colleagues and friends and families that, that they need to hear. Maybe it's the message that you need this morning. But for us who are trusting in this God, the God of Daniel, our God, let us keep going. Let us not waver in that certain hope and remember that as we remain godly in a godless world, as we live for Christ and obey and trust him in the hard times, it brings him glory. And it is a very powerful witness to those around us. As we read, as this chapter closes, we read how the most powerful king in the world, just like Nebuchadnezzar before him, was convinced as he saw the faith by Daniel in the living God. So much so that he even gives a gospel message to the nations. That God rules his world. He will reign forever. 
and he does rescue. Praise be to the God of Daniel, all honour and glory to him, our mighty God. And as we close in prayer, I'm going to use King Darius's words. Let's pray. Sovereign Father, we join in the words proclaimed by Darius, for you are the living God and you do endure forever. Your kingdom will not be destroyed. Your dominion will never end. You rescue and save. Father, we thank you for encouraging us in your word today. We recognise that this world tries to live without you. It rejects you. But as your people, Lord, help us to keep, to keep close to you, to stay in your word, to remind ourselves of these wonderful truths that you hold everything in your hand. Help us as we, when we're opposed, help us to remain faithful, to remember your promises as we see in the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus, those that trust in him will ultimately live. We thank you for that truth. Please keep us strong in that today and always. In his name we pray. Amen.